Well, good morning, everybody. Um, we're going to jump back into uh, Paul's epistle to the Romans. Um, we got to go all the way back to uh, to January 24, 20, uh, 2021, to when we started uh, this series. And uh, so I'm just thinking about that timeline. That means we're going to be done sometime in maybe 2024. Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. I, I do think that the last half of the book has the potential to go a little bit more quickly. Um, not necessarily, but we'll see what happens. Consider you're proud. Well, you, you know... I mean, and consider the source here, because you know, I just, uh, I, I'm very comfortable with. Let's just take our time and, and listen to the text and see what it has to say. So when when we started this, I was using Psalm 119 to uh, to guide our prayers, um, because a lot of that has to, a lot of Psalm 119 deals with uh, righteousness and living in a right relationship with God. And um, while we were on vacation, I was given a a little prayer book, um, and uh, it was uh, called The Prayers of the Diaspora. Um, the Diaspora is a fancy way of talking about uh, the, the exiles, um, talking about the Jewish people who were taken into exile, and, you know, and they're living in these foreign lands. And uh, that, even before I got that, the, the thought about being a Christian, living in this world, um, being citizens of the kingdom of God um, in the way that sometimes that brings us challenges in terms of how do we live in this life. Being um, There's a good, strong New Testament idea about being aliens and strangers as we're living in this world. And uh, I was kind of grabbed by the imagery. And uh, I'm, I, I want to spend a little bit of time with our opening prayer in those what are called the, the Psalms of Ascent. They're more familiar with that name. But the idea is, or the thought that is out there is that maybe some of these psalms, anyhow, were written while the Jews were in exile. And they're longing to be able to go to Jerusalem. And it isn't that we want to go, you know, book a flight and go to Jerusalem, per se. But we're looking ahead to the heavenly Jerusalem, where the, the conflict of this life, you know, uh, it, it gives way, you know, to the... The, the salvation that Jesus has completely won for us and uh, um, we no longer struggle with the, the temptations, but we're, you know, we, we can be home in, in a sense. Um, and so a lot, of this, a lot of the Psalms deal with this going up to Jerusalem and uh, there, there are two schools of thought in terms of why these were written. Um, the, the temple in Jerusalem was broken into different segments uh, that different people could enter into. And there are like sets of steps between the different parts of the temple. And some people think that these were uh, chanted or, or sung or spoken uh, as you were going up the steps into the next segment. Um, uh, the other, and I think more popular uh, theory about why these were written is Jerusalem is on the top of a hill and that people would sing mm -hmm. these as they're going up the hill into Jerusalem. That's that's been the mental image that I've had for you know most of the time that I've been studying these. So that's kind of the image that I have in my head is that as we're living in this world, we are heading uh, to the last day, living as as aliens and strangers in this world, and yet we're not people without a home, 
It's just that we're not there yet. You know, and, and so that that's kind of the what I'm going to be trying to to draw out. You know, as I use these psalms for our opening prayers. And we're going to start with Psalm 120, and uh, uh, the Psalms of Ascent go from Psalm 120 to, I think it's 133. So we've got a few weeks of these that we'll be able to work through. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing, I, there are two words I want to bring out um, in verse 5. Uh, it talks about Meshach. Um, we're not completely sure where Meshach was, but we think it was Turkey. And then the other is Kedar. Um, that seems to be the northern part of Saudi Arabia. You know, so here are these people who are longing to be in Jerusalem, and they're like, why am I stuck in Turkey? Mm -hmm. Why am I stuck in Saudi Arabia when I want to be, <clears throat> you know, so that's, that's kind of the imagery behind what's, what's, what's being said there. So let's pray. Lord, in this world, we, we experience distress and troubles all, all the time, and so we call upon you, and we thank and praise you that you answer us. Deliver us, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceiving tongue. What will be given to you, and, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? The lies of this world will be destroyed, and all things will be made clear. A warrior's sharp arrow with glowing coals of the bloom, broom tree, that's the, that's the end for, for the lies of this world. It's destruction. We live in woe sometimes because we sojourn far from, far, far from our heavenly home. Too long have we had our dwelling among those who hate peace. We're for peace. We are the people of the Prince of Peace. But when we speak in this world, they're for war. And so we pray, Lord, that, that you would continue to be our Prince of Peace and that you would help us to speak of the peace that passes human understanding and that in so doing that we would bring peace in this life. We ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, so Romans, a refresher um, because I, I don't remember when I went back to teach the kids. I want to say it was in February. Um, and uh, uh, we were in the middle of, of chapter 8. Um, we're actually at chapter 8, verse 17. And by the time we're done, I hope that we will have uh, gone through that whole first part of uh, Romans 8. But I, I just want to hit on some of the high points and make sure that you know, we're kind of on, on the same um, mental plane in terms of what's going on here. Because we've been at this for a while. And then we took a break. And now we're, we're coming back at it again. So Romans is probably written around uh, 55 AD. The author is Paul, the apostle. Um, and, uh, and it's as an apostle that he's writing. Uh, the, the, you know, the, there's, this is more than just you know, um, writing a letter to somebody or you know, a group of friends. You know, there, there's an, an authority that's, that's behind this. He's, he's revealing uh, God's will and God's word to these people. In a lot of ways, this is probably Paul's uh, magnum opus. You know, talking about justification. This is this is the one where he really digs into it. Um, now, who who was at early service today? Where did we run into Paul already today? Then. In our epistle, 
Yeah. Our second reading was from the book of Colossians. Um, major portion of the New Testament is written by St. Paul. They're, and they're letters that he wrote to churches. And I remember when I was a kid coming to church, listening to the scripture readings. You know, and, you know it's just, there it is. Okay, moving on. Um, but having studied you know, these letters a lot more closely over the years, you, you can tell these are written by the same person. Mm-hmm. Or at least, you know, I mean, he's talking about the same things. Uh, and I, I, find that, um, I find that to be really neat. Um, the way that he uh, starts his first part of the letters, he's always thanking God for the people and praying for them and all of these things. And uh, you even start to, to hear themes that, that start to come through, talking about baptism here, talking about justification, talking about, you know, good works. We haven't hit that yet, really, no. in Romans, but it's coming. Um, talking about spiritual gifts, you know, the kingdom, all of these things. And uh, um, we'll, we'll uh, um, you know, hopefully that's something that you will see if you haven't already. You know, as you've gone through this book, you, you'll you'll hear something from in the epistle and be like, is that from Romans? Wait, no, that was Ephesians. Wait a second, you know. It's one message, you know, and, and he's different emphases in, in different places. So I think that's really cool. So what do we know about St. Paul? What do you remember? He's an orator. Okay. What Roman else? Roman citizen. He was a Roman citizen? That's important. Yeah. You know, it kept him from being killed for a long time. Mm-hmm. Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. Those two things didn't always go together. And that's important, too, because that means he's, he's a legitimate scholar that could speak to the, the Jewish people. What else? He had originally persecuted the Christians. Yep. He had a come to Jesus moment. He had a real come to Jesus moment. He had a Jesus come to him moment. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And didn't he make tents during his living? Yep. That was his trade. And that's actually part of the, the, the uh, tradition of the Pharisees is that you couldn't just be a teacher. You had to have a skill. You had to have a trade. And his was tent making. Anything else that stands out? He had something that drove him crazy that never went away. Yeah, a thorn in the flesh. Which is really not clear exactly what that is. There are a couple of different theories. Um, One is that it was some kind of temptation that vexed him deeply. You know, and, and that makes sense. Uh, another, based on uh, the book of Galatians, is that it may have been uh, a physical affliction related to his eyes. Um, he actually writes in the book of Galatians about how if they could have, they would have plucked out their eyes for him. You know, the idea that, you know, if we could fix your eyes. Um, uh, it, that also is kind of held by, uh, he signs some of his letters, see with what large letters, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tim and John Hancock. Yeah, well, <laughs> do, do any of you have, like, on your phone where you've, like, in, increased the, uh, the font? I, I'm right back to normal because I can't see without my glasses anyhow. Um, but, uh, you know, that's kind of the idea is, you know, you know, 
he needed it, needed it to be big to be able to see it. So some people think it was some kind of an eye affliction, maybe. At the end of the day, we don't know. But he, he had some kind of suffering in his life. It was a thorn in the flesh. A thorn in the flesh. And we, yeah. we, you know, like I said, we don't know what it is, what it was. Um, we know that he traveled all over. Um, we know uh, that, uh, that he suffered for the faith. Uh, he was um, beaten, stoned, imprisoned, uh, all kinds of um, suffering. He shipwrecked. Um, converted people in, in prison. He converted people in prison, absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, because he kept his focus on, or maybe it's better to say that the Spirit kept his focus on proclaiming Christ. And, uh, and so, very important, you know, apostle for our experience of, of the Christian faith. Um, it's good to know that Paul was not a writer. None of the letters uh, are actually written by Paul's hand. He always used a scribe. Um, and so, as Mo mentioned, he was an orator. He, he was a preacher, and he would speak. And sometimes you kind of get that flavor in, in, in the letters, mm. that this is something that was spoken more than written. Um, uh, I know that when I write things, that my mental process is different than if I'm just presenting and talking. Mm. You know, it's it's a little bit of a different mode of communication, um, and uh, you know, when you, when you write something, you can go back and edit it, and you know, you can massage the way the the order of the words and all of that type of stuff. Um, as my dad liked to say, you can't unring a bell, and so if once it's come out of your mouth, it's there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Um, no, no. I mean, he does have a scribe. So, and and there is some some you know conjecture about. So here he is talking, and you know the scribes writing this stuff down. You know, is it exactly word for word? Um, and I think that there's probably room to think that there might be some summarizing going on in, in the way. You know, but that's okay. Um, think of a better word to describe, maybe. Um, you know, he uh, he got uh, like a whole bunch of stuff together, and he just summarize it you know and uh, who knows the scribe for Romans though was a guy named Tertius could be that's a good skill um, do any of you do shorthand it's mom good yeah yeah do you know who does among us Becca wow yes she does yeah yeah I'm like, how did you do that? And she's like, shorthand. Oh, okay, all right. Um, Paul's letters were written to be heard. The way that we as uh, Westerners uh, approach most of the scriptures is very different than the way that the, the first Christians would have approached these things. Um, they would have gathered together to hear the whole thing read. You know, so a, a lot of the letters, you know, like if you were to listen to, uh, I listened to Colossians the other day. The, the, um, Colossians uh, in our um, worship services, the next four weeks, the, the lessons are all going to come from Colossians. Um, the kids at the National Youth Gathering are focused on Colossians 1.16. In Christ, all things hold together. 
um, but it's it's Colossians, you know, and, and so I wanted to listen to the whole book, and it, it maybe took me 20 minutes. It's only four chapters long. You know, um, Romans is 16 chapters long. I, I would guess that it'd probably take you an hour and a half to listen to it. You know, but, uh, you know, this is what they would do is they would gather together and somebody would read the letter and it would be like this communal activity. I think somewhat similar to um, watching a movie. You know, sometimes we go and we watch movies together and then what do you do afterwards? You talk about it. Talk about about it. it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have you know, a conversation about it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that that is, you know, how these letters were originally used and and I think that there's I keep thinking that this is something that that we need to figure out how to recapture um, but it is I think it's difficult for us because of the lifestyle that we lead um, you know so during Lent I was I encouraged everybody to read through all four Gospels you know I said you know or you could listen to it mm-hmm. you know I listened to it I didn't finish it within the the 40 days because I wanted to listen to each one in their entirety. You know, uh-huh. And uh, Luke is like two hours and 20 minutes in the, the recording that I had. Uh-huh. Now, you put me down in front of you know, the Lord of the Rings at three and a half hours, I'm like, yeah. here we go. But you know, listening to the Gospel of Luke for two and a half hours, I'm like, oh. I know, I, I yeah. No. Okay. All right. And that's kind of what we do when we do our, you know, daily Bible study too. So okay, time to stop because I'm losing it. Yeah. You know, time to stop. And yeah. And then we also take coffee break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I think another important part of this idea that these were meant to be heard uh, comes to us in Romans chapter ten, verse seventeen where we hear uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, you know, we could, we could spend some time kind of uh, talking about, you know, the process of reading and what goes on in our minds. Uh, it, it, it is in a lot of ways like hearing, you know, when you're reading these words that are off the page, mm-hmm. you know, um, but, uh, um, and I'm not saying that that doesn't work, you know, that that is insufficient or, or whatever. You know, that is really our, the way that we read. Um, the ancients did not read that way. They read out loud. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm kind of, I guess what I'm saying is I'm all for trying to recapture a, a little bit more of this out loud uh, experience uh, of reading. And, well, I, uh, I really like to follow along. While I'm listening to it, yeah, yeah. You know, so you're getting it both ways. Then you're actually visualizing the yep. words, and they're also going into your ears too. Yeah, it's a multi-sensory learning process. Yeah, and when when Chris was working on her master's with uh, reading, you know, you talked about that little booklet thing that you wrote, the value of reading to children, mm. and the importance of that, right? Yeah, so. Why are you looking at me like that? She doesn't want to be in the spotlight. <laughs> Can I ask a question? Yeah. Do you not find it different when you have the expert reader? I'll ask you as an expert in this area. 
But I find it different. You know, when I'm taking my phone and there's a significant person who reads this on a regular basis and their tone of the voice intrigues me and it's like uh, waiting for the Lord of the Thrones yeah. next moment. Yeah. You know, it's leading me into the, what I was talking to my mother during the weekend last weekend because it seems like uh, every church is talking about the book of Paul because I went to her service after ours last uh, online and it seems like everybody's talking about the same thing and that's fascinating to me. And uh, I got off topic right now. I was talking about the speaker. The speaker, and if that's a speaker that goes with the tone, it's, it's like me looking for the theme mm -hmm. or something, action getting ready to happen or something. Yeah. So it affects me when I have a different reader, a, a sort of like a regular reader who reads that, like on our phones. Mm -hmm. It is like it goes with the time mm -hmm. and stuff. And it intrigues me. So I usually, like you, fall asleep if it's a reader that's not in that mode. Right. right? Yeah, so, but if age. that if cool, that yeah. reader is a regular reader of the book, the letters or whatever, yeah. then it carries me, and I'm waiting for the action or you know the next point, the that's theme right. or yeah. whatever, yeah. the point, you know, so to speak. Yeah. I so a, I like that type of uh, reader. Yeah. Once had a monotone history professor. Oh, and that was the that was the, yeah that was the last course that I have even attempted to take notes on. After that, I totally gave it up. <laughs> but if you looked in my notebook, you'd see this stuff, and then you'd see this line. <laughs> You're falling asleep. And the pen is actually. <laughs> it's like the heart rate monitor. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. What I was saying yeah. is, is something about those readers, and that intrigues me. You know. Like and it, yeah, and possibly the, the readers back then were very skilled at it. But yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, were able to engage in their audience. Well, I'm, I'm always sort of fascinated by the lectors that worked in cigar factories. Because mm -hmm. rolling cigars is a little boring, and, and it's a very quiet activity. So they would pay someone to come in and read books. Yep. Oh, all day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I think if you think about how you learn to read, and the the there's sort of a struggle that takes place if you're if you're trying to get the comprehension, but you don't have the ability to you know like you don't have the vocabulary to know what this particular word means, or you don't have the the pace to where it's you know you're sort of struggling. Whereas if you have someone reading to you, and especially if you can kind of, you know, look at it too, that, I mean, that's how we learn to read is, you know, we're, we're listening to someone who is more skilled and then we're kind of watching what's happening. But your, your comprehension or your, your enjoyment of the text is only going to be um, there if you're not struggling. If you're the one that's you know doesn't have the experience or you don't understand the vocabulary, you're not. It's not going to be the same. It has to be someone who's more skilled at it that you're you know that you're picking up on it and kind of having that comprehension that's going to make the experience more enjoyable. But also you're actually getting something out of it. Otherwise, you're just kind of working at it. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about like listening to audiobooks um, when uh, we were driving uh, on vacation we were listening to Dr. Doolittle 
and yeah. for the life of me, yep. the way that this guy read, I just, I had trouble understanding him. He had this weird yep. inflection. Yeah, we, oh. it. We, couldn't get, it, we couldn't get into it. We yeah, and we're like. We couldn't hear him. We kept having to concentrate like, if, like on what he was saying, and, and we were kind of like, yeah, we'll just pass it on to yeah. But some, then it, some people skill at it and some people are not. Yeah. That's just the bottom line. You mm -hmm. take uh, yeah. first graders, when you put them in the library and you have somebody tell them the story mm -hmm. or something like that, is their attention is brought by the expert of the person who's delivering the yep. reading. If the person is not skilled at it, he's not delivering because yeah. you can watch the eyes of these kids <laughs> and they're excited mm -hmm. or whatever, but otherwise, if it's not there, yeah. Some, yeah. Uh, some of those a really well done audio book. Yep. I mean, they have a different voice, a different accent for each character, mm -hmm. so you yep. always know who is speaking. Yep. yep. And yeah, they're they're pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I think of uh, Jim Dale who did the uh, the Harry Potter series. Um, different voice for every character. I'm like, how do you keep that straight in your mind? And then just recently, the new um, version of The Hobbit in The Lord of the Rings. Uh, that came out with Andy Serkis, um, the actor that played Gollum in the movies. He just has this rich, deep voice. I, and when he does Gollum, it's Gollum. It's Gollum, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and he's got different voices for everybody, you know. And I'm always jealous of guys that, that have those mm, uh -huh. deep voices because I'm like, you know, preacher should have a deep voice. And, I'm not, <laughs> and I don't. It so. sounds authoritative. It does! Do, you, well, um, do any of you know Keith Johnson? He was at Redeemer in Cuyahoga Falls for a long time. Uh, he, he's actually preached here once or twice, but he's just got one of those really, uh, it's like, oh, yes, I can listen to this. You know, I'm like, yeah, here I am. <laughs> so, and maybe getting us, like, you know, that's one reason why some churches argue that only the pastor should be doing yes. readings and they don't open that up to lay people. That is part of Whatever that. Whatever that's worth, you know, like yeah. this, but that's part of the thinking with that, is that, you know, yeah. the pastor is the skilled one or has the vocabulary or knows the, you know, whatever. I, I remember as a kid when we had a search committee going and, you know, the, the, the big question that always came back of what people wanted, to, well, what was his voice like? Yep. They didn't know, like, well, did he know what he was talking about, you know? <laughs> was he compassionate? No, what was his voice like? Yeah, and it cuts both ways. I know of a pastor who had been a radio DJ before he became a preacher. Oh. And, uh, you know, and then when he would preach, people would be like, it just sounds like a show. Oh. <laughs> you know, because you know, oh, he's a professional speaker, but he's used to doing this kind of the, the radio thing, and they're yeah. like, you know, I can't stand it. It sounds so insincere. And <laughs> It's like, this wow. And this one's by Paul. This comes to you from Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, that, that is, and I still see that sometimes, um, you know, in conversations uh, among my brother pastors, when, you know, they, uh, they will talk about, you know, no, I do all the readings. I'm like, uh, I'm like uh. they're like, no, I, I've studied this. I practiced it. I, I know how I want it to be heard. You know, and and I do that with the gospel. You know, I, I try to read it expressively. I try to you know emphasize different parts of you know that I want to bring out. Um, and you know, I know that, that there have been times that I've wished that I could read the Old Testament lesson in particular. You know, uh -huh. um, today's reading from Leviticus. 
there's a little bit at the end. I talked about this in the sermon you know, where God repeats over and over again, I am the Lord. What is the tone of voice of that? You know, because he's saying this is how you, you know, these are the things I, I expect from you and the way that you're going to live. You know, is it, I am the Lord? Like, you better get it or, you know, thunderbolts and lightning are going to come to you? Or is it, hey, I'm the Lord. I'm the one that saved you. I'm the one that redeemed you. You know, you know that, that type of, you know, a loving reminder. And I, I think you did it's it differently in the sermon. Yeah. That's the part I picked up when I first came. I only saw it, you know, I kind of moved around because of my education. So I've been to several Lutheran churches, right? And there are something about what came through that intrigued me about when you're reading the gospel, when you're reading the scripture, and it came out. Your tone is different, what you're expressing now, those two tones, yeah. than what you did in the sermon today. Mm -hmm. And so I got it. Yeah. I got it. Mm -hmm. I am the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. You know, and, and it, the expression, I think, matters. Yeah. And there was a period of time, and I remember talking about this in classes at times. Um, you no, know, you want to just read it in a monotone manner. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's horrible. Yeah. You know, th this is expressive. And if part of the pastor's job is interpretation, uh, isn't that supposed to come through in the way that you read it? You know, you know and, I th and I think that there's more of that now. The current um, speaker of the, the Lutheran Hour, uh, Michael Ziegler, um, I think he's... When he first came on, there were, there were a lot of, uh, lot of other pastors, because pastors complain about preaching more than anything, okay? Not their own preaching. Their own preaching is great. Um, just ask. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I, I know guys that, like, when they're on vacation, they won't go to church because they can't stand to listen to somebody else. I'm like, no, this is an important part of our lives. I love going to church, even if, I, even if I'm like, I wouldn't... I didn't say it this last time. I wouldn't have done it that way. But we got in the van and the kids were like, Dad, you wouldn't have done it that way. <laughs> I'm like, here I am. I'm trying to be sanctified. And my kids are like, I'm like, that's true. I would not have, but that doesn't make it wrong. <laughs> um, I think there's another person who's a good reader. His name is Tony Evans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he does a good job. Um, but the, uh, the current speaker of the Lutheran Hour, when he first started... He likes to do relatively long readings. And when I you know, notice the quotes, you know, the scare quotes thing, um, he goes back to the original text and translates, and then he kind of does this longer uh, summary presentation. And he'll do a couple of chapters as part of his sermon. Mm. You know, and it's more like a performance than it is just a straight reading. Mm -hmm. And I'm fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by the bigger chunks of scripture at a time, but also, you know, treating it as this is something that we want to hear and that it should be presented in a way that is accessible and interesting. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, you know, it, I, I, I think he's worth checking out. That being said, the month of August in the Lutheran Hour, they go back to the archives and, uh, you know, so they... You bring back, you know, sermons that they've already, um, the best of the best. kind of, that's kind of the idea. And it was fascinating. They were talking about, um, Oswald Hoffman is, uh, going to be the one who presents this week. It's, so one of his sermons from 
like uh, the 60s when there was so much turmoil going on. And then the, they never talked about, you know, hey, this is what's coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was very much, uh, I think you're going to find this sermon that was presented in the 1960s really fits with what we're experiencing today. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was, you know, okay, all right. There's nothing new under the sun. So, um, as we've gone through the book, there are some key themes that I want to remind you of. Uh, a couple of key passages I want to bring out. Uh, Romans is all about the gospel and faith. Right from the you know chapter one, uh, this this really important passage, Paul says, uh, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes." Uh, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So th- this, this idea that the power that gives us life and salvation is the gospel. It's the good news of, of Christ crucified and raised for you. And, uh, and that the way that we take hold of that power is by faith. Believing in, in Jesus and in his promises. Um, the, the next thing, which is still in the first thing, is this idea of righteousness. Um, and uh, when we think about righteousness, um, this is, uh, I spent a, a, a significant part of one of those, the sessions talking about this Greek word, dikaiosune. Um, it's really a big, big word throughout Romans, throughout the New Testament. This idea of how does God take us and make us right with himself. Most of the time when we think about righteousness, we think about it in kind of the civic sense in terms of the things that we do. But when Paul is talking about righteousness here, he is talking first and foremost about how God reconciles us to himself, how he makes us right with himself. And this is something that God does and that we really can't contribute to. Uh, It's something that we take hold of by faith, something that we receive uh, the key passage for that is in Romans chapter 3. Um, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So back in verse 25, that word propitiation, it's the idea of a blood sacrifice that atones for sin. And then Jesus is that blood sacrifice so that God is just in the sense that he, you know, he handles sin. He doesn't just let it, you know, doesn't just sweep another carpet, pretend mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. But he, he does it in Christ. He punishes sin in Jesus so that he is both just and justifier. The one who makes us right with himself. Um, a lot of stuff about law and sin. You know, particularly chapters 5, 6, and 7 really explore that, uh, that part of our life of faith. What the law does to us, how it accuses us, how sin is made worse through the law, and how it's revealed by the law. 
and then of course salvation. And this, it's, it's through the whole thing, but uh, it really, really comes out at the end of chapter seven, as we transition into chapter eight, uh, Paul has this beautiful passage, you know, the good I would, I don't, you know, and he's, he's really wrestling with how does he live in relationship with God as one who obviously continues to sin, but who has also been declared righteous in his sight. And he says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And it's with that that we uh, uh, get back into the things that we were uh, studying right before, right before we went uh, on our little break. So I've got the outline of the letter there for you again uh, to, to refresh your memory, uh, just in terms of you know, kind of a breakdown. And this is, uh, this is how Karl Barth um, uh, outlined the letter. I got this from his uh, commentary on Romans. So for whatever that's worth. And so I thought a good way uh, for us to jump back in would be to read Romans 8, 1 through 17, which is the stuff that, uh, that we had been working on um, the first part of this year. And uh, uh, I know that we've been talking about expert readers and everything like that, and you haven't had any time to practice. But uh, would, uh, would somebody be willing to read verses 1 through 8, kind of do a paragraph at a time? Can I do it? Please. It is. Yeah. Uh, so so basically, the, the whole first full paragraph, uh, one through eight. Okay, well. Okay. Romans eight. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of the life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All right. Some powerful stuff there. And uh, this is one of those places where uh, um, it's just really this, this harsh... Um, dichotomy between sin and the gospel, you know, in our flesh, which is symbolic of, of everything that's sinful about us, you know, there's just no hope. But in everything in the mind, which is symbolic of, you know, the life of faith, um, you know, well, and, this, and this isn't a, an intellectual versus, it's, it's not that at all. But, it, you know, in the mind of the spirit at work in us, it, there's hope and salvation and confidence. Yeah, it looks to me more like there's 
got the flesh on one side and the spirit on the other, and the mind stuck in the middle. Mm. Sort of, you know, the old cartoons with the angel and the devil. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I don't know, I, I, I guess, like you say, flesh is used as a symbol. It is. But in some ways, it's, I mean, the, yeah, the flesh can tell us to overeat, but the flesh also tells us to eat. Yes. It, the, the flesh is necessary for our existence, uh, but, you know, sin is not. If you just said sin, it would have been easier for me than always saying flesh. Yeah, you know, and, and he's, he's not talking biology here, you know, at this point. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, uh, um, he, but he is talking about kind of this idea that the, the stuff that's connected to the, the orders and the systems of this world, yeah. you know, is corrupted. And uh -huh. it's only, you know, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that um, leads into holiness. Now, I'm pretty sure our flesh was baptized, right? They didn't, mm -hmm. they, they didn't sprinkle water, they didn't pull your soul out and like sprinkle water on your soul right. or something like that. You know, yeah. so the redemption is, is, you know, is of our whole selves. Yeah. And I, I actually think that this is something that is really important that we need to make sure that we keep in focus uh, is that you know, we are people who believe in the resurrection of the body, you know, as we confess in the creeds. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's not that, you know, these bodies are bad and they should be, you know, beaten into uh, submission. Early monks to the contrary. Absolutely. Yeah. Luther himself, um, you know, probably died at a younger age because of damage that he did to himself while he was a monk. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and this kind of thing, it continues in our world. Um, and, you know, and it's not just, you know, monks or zealots. I mean, it's... It's just part of who we are as, as people, you know. How many times do people go on like these extreme diets, you know, for a period of time because, you know, I, oh, I need to get myself under control and uh, I'm a mess and, you know, you know, and in essence, you know, you're punishing yourself. Or, you know, I talk about like this all the time, you know, with my, my buddies that I run with, you know. You know, I ate too much last night, so what do I need to do? I need to run an extra, however... Mm -hmm. In essence, I'm punishing myself for the thing that I did. You know, it's it's just part of the logic of this world and of this life. You know, if you if you use uh, fitness pal, it will actually add calories to yes, your it daily does. allowance when you get so many steps. Yep. Yep. So it sort of goes the other way around. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's actually a cheat to too. Sometimes, you know, huh? you know. Well, I did this extra, and now I can have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how Gary earns his donuts. Good man, Gary. <laughs> That's right. You can do that exercise so you can eat your donut. So many calories so I can have a donut. Good man, good yeah. man. All right, would somebody care to read verses 9 through 11 for us? Okay. Please. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. All right. And then let's wrap it up, verses 12 through 17. Would somebody care to read that? I can. Thank you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There is an expectation of uh, suffering when you follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember when Jesus said, take up your Mercedes and follow me? <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, take up your cross and follow me. And, and that is something that, that I think that as Americans we really wrestle with. This idea of um, that we would have to give something up or that we would have to suffer at all you know, for our faith. Um, uh, but we re- need to remember that it's at the cross that... Uh, God's glory is revealed. You know, it's that he atones for our sins there. He takes that upon himself. He shows his mercy and his love in this uh, amazing way that is, is shocking. You know, and, and Jesus says, you know, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will be glorified. And he's talking about the cross. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so keeping that central to our lives, our faith is hugely important. Um, you know, so we can't skip over the crucifixion, um, nor do we, nor should we, we turn away from uh, uh, the, the suffering that comes from following Jesus. Um, but uh, you know, we live in that hope that there is a resurrection, and, and that our bodies will be raised and we'll live in glory. Um, I think of. Uh, uh, the quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You know, and uh, that sense of, uh, of, of dying to self and putting to death the flesh. Um, we live in a culture that's more about indulging the flesh. And uh, you know, we're, we're called to be countercultural uh, in that way. You know, we'd be willing to you know, deny the flesh in order for the sake of you know, our Savior. Or, as we talked about in the message, to, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So, all right, any thoughts, questions, comments before we wrap up? But our suffering is nothing comparable to Jesus. Say that again, please. Our suffering is nothing comparable to Jesus' suffering. No, no. So, our suffering is nothing. You know, even, even like the temptations that we face, you know. I, I think about this sometimes, you know, because you read about the temptations of Jesus and, um, and uh, you know, I, I think that when Jesus faces temptation, you know, like the, the, the pressure, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, it's like full pressure, you know, whereas, you know, Jesus, you know, the devil comes at me like with a squirt gun and it's like, Wee! I'm like, okay, I give up, you know, yeah. you know, so, yeah, I mean, the suffering that we experience, the temptation that we experience, 
You know, it's nothing like what Jesus experienced. No. You know, for the most part, not even physically. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the uh, the AMA some time ago put out a uh, uh, description of, of Christ's crucifixion. Sure. Uh-huh. Um, have you read that? Have, have you seen that? It, it, you can find it online. It's, you know, uh, the Journal of American Medical Associates, JAMA. I think it's in, in that. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's really hard to listen to. It, 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 you know, I read it, yeah, and uh, I mean, it is, it's harrowing. Um, but like the medical stuff that's going on, you know, most of us will never ever experiencing anything yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. There are some people, there are some Christians who have experienced really horrible things, mm-hmm. you know, um, suffering for the sake of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, no. not like we've that. not. Yeah. So. That's nothing compared to separation from God. I just, I can't even. Right. Imagine. Yeah. You know, it's, and we never have to experience that, but we would have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, folks, shall we close the prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for this time in your word, and we thank you for uh, your servant Paul and this word that reveals your righteousness and by the power of your Holy Spirit delivers your righteousness to us. And we ask, Lord, that uh, your spirit would strengthen our faith and that as we continue to study um, this particular letter and the rest of your scriptures, that you would help us to hear your voice in the word and that you would help us to, uh, to live our lives according to the hope that we have in Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen.